I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about the latest in COVID origins, we have my dear friend, colleague, co-host on the Coronavirus Crisis Update podcast, Dr. Steve Morrison, who is the head of our Global Health Policy Center here at CSIS and also a senior vice president at CSIS. Steve, welcome. Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be with you. So it's always great to be with you. I have to ask you, the government earlier this week, I think it was Sunday, maybe Saturday, the DOE, Department of Energy, came out with a story and said, you know, to reporters that COVID origins was from a lab leak. And then the White House comes in and says, well, it's inconclusive. So what is really going on here? Do you have a sense of what's happening? All right, let me let me do a quick, I'll try and be real quick on explaining the background context to this. Sure. If you remember, when Biden came into office, President Biden came into office in early 21, the WHO had just undertaken, was just undertaking in that period, its first visit to China to look at the origins issue. And they, they were there a month. They were quarantined two weeks. They were not given access to the lab. They were given access to findings, but not to raw data. They came back. They said, well, may, we're kind of leaning heavily in the direction of, of, of the hypothesis that this was a animal-to-human transmission, a zoonotic spillover versus a lab leak or lab accident. They came back with that. And then Dr. Tejo said, no, 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 no. Both propositions remain very live propositions, and we are going to go back and and look at this again in greater depth, which is remains the WHO position. President Biden comes in and in May says to, to eight of our intelligence agencies, says to Avril Haines, director for national intelligence and the head of the National Intelligence Council, says, you have 90 days to do a quick review of what do we know? about the origins and do we do we come down one way or another on this question of whether it's one or the or the other of these two propositions so in august they complete that work it becomes public in the early fall and it's inconclusive it basically says Avril Harriman the NIC the National Intelligence Council and four agencies are of the view they are leaning in the direction of 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 zoonotic spillover but not with terribly high confidence, but they're, they're on that side of the equation. And on the other side of the equation, the FBI comes down to saying they are moderate confidence levels that it was a lab leak or an accident. And then several other agencies were on the fence, including the CIA, undecided, not taking a position. So what happened more recently is that the White House asked Avril Haines to go back and take another hard look. And, and the DOE, the Department of Energy, was particularly engaged in this. And the Department of Energy, of course, under its rubric are the national labs. So it has great capacity on biological threats. It has something called the Z Division, which is a division of experts very well-respected scientific investigative experts, and it has links to other national labs. So they were asked in particular to go up, do an update 
Go see if there's anything more that we can learn. And, and this was something the president was asking for an update. And an update makes perfect sense for a variety of reasons in the timing that we're in right now. We can talk about that in a moment as to why now. Uh, there's various reasons why this would be done now. So over the weekend, there was a classified document, very short, four or five page document. We haven't seen it declassified yet, but it leaked over the weekend. And it says the only change that's happened here is that DOE is now saying it it is concluding with low confidence and based on unspecified new intelligence that it is in favor of the lab leaks thesis. That's the only thing that has changed. So now we have two institutions in that column. We still have the National Intelligence Council and four other agencies. We still have the CIA on the fence and a couple of other. There's a total of eight agencies that are, along with the NIC, that are in, in this process. So does that change much? And we also had Chris Ray, the head of FBI, on Fox News on the 28th, give a statement talking about, yes, we have moderate confidence in Lab League based on the, the input they received from Fort Detrick, from the uh, National Bioforensic Analysis Center that's out there that was created during the anthrax scare back in 04. So what we have is a government that has no consensus on this issue. There's a lack of evidence to prove conclusively either proposition. Both propositions are seen as live and very valid propositions, but it's not getting resolved, and, and there's an absence of evidentiary proof, and you can, you can go back to why. Much of that has to do with blocked access and lack of sharing coming from the Chinese. And so we're stuck. We're in a frozen conflict right now in global health. It's a bit of a wormhole. And the president is totally, I think, in the right state of mind to say we, need, we can't give up on this. We need to continue to remind the Chinese of what they need to do. And we, keep, we need to keep turning over every possible stone to see if, if we should rethink this. And, and that's what's happening. So, Steve, thank you for that. It's a really, that helps us wrap our heads around it a little bit. But so the question I have, and you alluded to this before, is why now? Why did DOE come out and start this avalanche? And then the second question is, is was that irresponsible? And does that lend credence to even more conspiracy theories, more misinformation, and the general communications problems that have been associated with COVID? Well, I don't think that what DOE did was irresponsible at all. I mean, the, they simply made an estimation based on what they know. And we don't know the, and they, they were honest, low confidence level. New intelligence, they're in the intelligence business, they're not disclosing. There's pressures on them from Congress to declassify. The administration's non-committal on that front. But your question of why now? I don't fault DOE for what it's doing, and yes, this may appeal to the conspiracy theorists out there who want to bash China and spin up an argument about lab leak or worse uh, going on. Or bash our government. And bash our own government. Keep in mind, the original, the original analysis that the president asked for in 2021 concluded one very, very important conclusion. COVID was not a bioweapon. It was not engineered 
by the Chinese. So it ruled that out, and it continues to rule that out. So, so it, may, it leaves it leaves us with the conclusion that this was a mistake in one way or another. Right, and there's two pathways, and they're both valid pathways, and we have to look carefully at both, and we need to strengthen our preparedness in both respects. We need to be better able to to understand and anticipate transmission that will emerge from animal species and cross to humans, and we need to very much amp up our biosafety and biosecurity. There are silver linings to this stalemate in the sense that it's forced us to recognize that there's been a proliferation of laboratories around the world that are BSL-4 labs, BSL-3s, all across the globe. There's no clear protocol and norms and regulatory environment. They're operating, they're, they're conducting gain-of-function research and other forms of, of genetic manipulation and the like that are, can be dangerous. And, and we don't have a very clear picture for our own government, much less for the world. There is a advisory group that just came out with major findings uh, to the Biden administration proposing a tightening of controls, and it was a very careful, well-done piece of work. But back to your question of why now, I think there's a couple reasons. One is the geopolitical environment. We are in the nadir of U.S.-China relations. We've never been in a situation as starkly negative, confrontational, and dangerous. On so many issues. Uh, look at, we've had the balloon episode. We've got Ukraine. We've got Taiwan. We're decoupling. We have the CHIPS legislation where there's clashes around denying access to technology, reshoring stuff to the United States in terms of chips. And this is part of this issue of COVID origins and lack of cooperation sits in this bigger complex in which the confrontation has escalated. And so having the administration come forward with another reminder is totally consistent with the, all the other reminders. Don't give weapons to the Russians for Ukraine. Don't make a mistake on, on Taiwan. And by the way, why don't you come to terms with the COVID origin and cooperate? WHO still is claiming the desire to go out and do a next investigative mission. There's been mistaken reports that, that they've abandoned that. They have not. But they're awaiting signals that they will be able to do this. So that, that game is not over. So the geopolitical piece. The second piece, of course, is Congress. We've got in the House of Representatives, we have no less than four or five committees that are in, interested in this topic. Uh, we have the Select Committee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, the, the new committee created uh, under the Republican control of the House. Next March 8th, next week, March 8th, big hearing. It's going to take this issue up. We have the Energy and Commerce Committee, which has jurisdiction over this and is very active. The Intelligence Committee itself has already done some report and is tracking this issue. Then you have the China Select Committee, the big committee that had its enormous inaugural session yesterday. Well, there was mention of this issue in, the, in that very turbulent review. You had Matt Pottinger, you had H.R. McMaster, you had a a display of remarkable bipartisan consensus in, in, in the animus towards China. It's not a, it, it, this is a remarkable instance in our toxic Washington 
of consensus and bipartisan, concerted bipartisan action. And this issue sits there. And you have various proposals being circulated legislatively. So the administration's motive was to show a couple things. It was to show we're not, we're not inactive. We're very active. We're proactive. We're searching under every stone. And we're going to let get that out into the atmosphere for discussion before these hearings really kick into high gear. The last thing I'd say is it's helpful for WHO, frankly, at some level, that the United States is continuing to remind the world that this issue matters enormously and that the U.S. is continuing to be very active. And maybe it will help. I don't know. It's Things are stuck for the moment, and we have to be very realistic. So, Steve, did it surprise you, though, that DOE did this sort of on its own, didn't seem to be coordinated with the rest of the agencies that have oversight I don't think that's exactly what happened. I mean, I think that Avril Haines, as the director of national intelligence and the head of the National Intelligence Council, it's her job to coordinate and, 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 and instruct. And I don't think DOE was off on some rogue action. It was operating under White House direction to use its lab network globally, use its Z, Z division analysts, and see, put it to the test again and see what came out of it. And then there was a five-page memo, four or five-page memo, classified, that went from Haynes to the White House, and then that leaked on Sunday. Now, was it DOE out leaking? I don't know. I mean, it... My guess is the White House wanted this information out in the environment in order to push the debate. Will this feed some conspiracy thinking? Yes, but hopefully what it really does is spur the recognition that the lab leak, lab accident possibility is a very legitimate thing that requires very careful scientific, continued scientific work. Your point that this particular situation with China is not isolated from all the other things going with China. You know, of course, at the same time that this reporting was coming out, you had the director of the CIA, Bill Burns, going to Sunday morning television and talking about how the intelligence community has some confidence that China is considering arming Ukraine. So it seems that you could see how those two things could be connected. Oh, yes. I, I don't think this is some accidental or peripheral development, this is intentional and it fits within a broader White House strategy and it ties to what's happening on the Hill and it ties to our communication to China in this moment of crisis. And we are in a, you know, we're in an extraordinary moment of confrontation between ourselves and China at higher and higher risks. And when you, when you look at this frozen conflict surrounding the COVID origin, you have to ask yourself, okay, if this remains a quagmire, a frozen conflict forever, or and we never get to the bottom of this, does that block us from ever talking to the Chinese in a, in a systematic, deliberate, professional, scientific basis about preparing for the next pandemic? Because we know that the next pathogen is likely to emerge, there's a high probability it's going to emerge from China. And if we have a breakdown of scientific collaborations 
if we see a decoupling of scientific communities, if we see investigations of academic scientists who have been affiliated with China and they get stigmatized, that's a possibility with these investigations that are starting on the Hill. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's hope that scientists are not, don't become red meat in this process. But we cannot afford to see a breakdown of all scientific cooperation with the Chinese around issues of global health security of the most basic kind. And we have had extensive ties. They have not disappeared, but they're fragile and they've been scaled back. And that's, to me, one of the big risks that's here on the table. We can't, we may de we may decouple a bit on chips, but we can't decouple on preparing for pandemics because we're going to, if we're, if we're blind, completely blind to what's going on in China and the Chinese are like completely inclined to just throw the barriers up and not communicate, well, guess what happens when the next big pandemic comes? Yeah, that's right. And so, Steve, final question. What do we need to do to ensure that that doesn't happen? I think we have to walk and chew gum. I mean, we have to, we're not, no one's going to give up on the COVID origin issue, but we have to figure out a way to keep the pressure up while also trying to find the basis for dialogue with the Chinese around preparing for the future. And we need to guard against damaging our own scientific community to score a few points in the short term. We don't want this generation of scientists that's coming through their, their training and graduate programs to say, I need to stay as far away from Asia as possible because it's just the world is hardening into a cold war and I'm only going to get punished, not rewarded. We need to be very, very forceful at protecting. I mean, there's multiple, there's over 300 NIH grants that are active within China right now. That Every major American university, research university, has partnerships ongoing that are very important. We can't see those disappear. We have to protect those. But we need a vision. We need a vision on global health security that doesn't shy away from saying that a dialogue for the future is in our national interest. It's the, People will criticize that and say, oh, how can you possibly propose that because they're blockading all of these other actions. It's a hard argument to make, I admit. But we cannot, as a nation, afford to be blind as to what's going on. We need to keep working this issue, bilaterally, multilaterally. We need to keep supporting WHO. Dr. Tedros, Mike Ryan, Maria Van Kerkhove, they have all tried every possible angle with the Chinese. Public, private, coercive, deferential, and they need to keep trying. They can't give up. Even when we know that it's the prospects for success seem remote, and we need to support them on that. We shouldn't vilify them. We shouldn't treat them as if they are a joke or that they are in the hands of the Chinese. They're not in the hands of the Chinese. We should be supporting them in, in whatever way we can. Steve Morrison, really, really interesting. Thank you for this analysis. We all are going to understand it much better after listening. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. As always, great pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, 
The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 